0: You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 podcast studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. Glad to have you along today as the offseason really gets rolling for every team now in the NFL. Big show on tap, latest trade rumors heating up as really the next big things in the NFL are Franchise tags and also free agency coming up in February and March. We'll explore this year's free agent left tackle class. That'll take up a good chunk of our show today as the Colts are in, I I don't know about if you would say desperate need, but they're in pretty strong need. Uh, maybe desperate's a strong word, but the Colts' uh, situation there is uh, is not good, as you saw what happened uh, last year when Anthony Costanzo went out. And uh, before they finally shorted up in the postseason. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about this past weekend and uh, reaction to the Super Bowl. Um, I, 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 Mike, I know that uh, no no Colts fan has any affinity for Tom Brady at all. But you look back, and now that this entire season, the book has been closed on it, and it's been completely the chapters have been all all been written. You have to you have to recognize what what Tom Brady. Can do, and there was so much question before the season about, well, is he going to have success apart from Belichick? He goes to Tampa Bay, and they start with a seven and five record. They're kind of an average team at best, but then they're able to turn things around. Um, Brady wins his seventh Super Bowl, which is more than any other franchise can say in the NFL. So, in spite of so many people I know who will be listening to this podcast's aversion for the man, uh, you kind of have to respect him at the same time.
1: You just have to give him his props. I mean, it, I I, I kind of looked at that the evil empire was New England. It, it wasn't necessarily Brady, although you know you kind of clumped him in there. But what a lot of people wanted to know was was the evil empire was it Brady or was it Belichick? And you wonder who had the most to to do with it and what Brady was able to do uh, this year in Tampa. And he wants to come back and play again. He, what do he say? He wants to play at least forty five. I, mean, I mean, serious. So I just think you you know you you can have your, your your obscenities toward him and everything but give the man his props and what was really classic was the the post Super Bowl completion of the Lombardi trophy from one boat to another during the celebration <laughs> and, and if that's not goat I don't know what is I'm thinking that's got to be a fake Lombardi but apparently that's the real deal could you imagine calling out the divers to
0: try to get that out of the bay
2: well, when you got seven of them, who cares? I'll throw one from boat to boat. <laughs>
0: no, that was that was insane video. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out for sure. And uh, yeah, so I mean, also on the, other, on the other side of the coin, guys, Kansas City, Joe uh, was this team that had this offensive prowess all year long, uh, but just did not show up at all on Super Bowl Sunday in spite of what they were able to do against the Buccaneers earlier in the year just exploded on them Tyreek Hill in particular um, Todd Bowles certainly got the better of Eric Bienemy when you're talking about the Bucks defensive coordinator over the the Chiefs offensive coordinator on that specific day
2: yeah it kind of reminded me of a couple years ago when Patriots with Tom Brady still played the Rams and the Rams had that high scoring offense and the Super Bowl came around they just shut it down um, the biggest story in the game was the Chiefs missing their top two tackles. And then the Bucks having a very fierce pass rush. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was running for his life the entire game. Uh, the Chiefs had some drops. In my opinion, the Bucks got helped out a little bit with some iffy, penalties as well so uh, everything kind of just went in the Buccaneers favor in this one as seems to happen so often with Tom Brady teams but you got to give it to him he's got seven and this was an excellent Buccaneers team all around
0: I'll I'll allow the people being upset about the calls out there as if I'm the czar of uh, of all this I'll allow it (laughs) thank you Dave you're welcome but but at the same time I don't think I don't think you can say that a 31 to 9 final that the refs were the deciding factor in this game. I don't think you can. I know some people might want to no. go that far, but they were outclassed. The the Bucks outclassed the Chiefs. You, and if you want to say the refs helped them, okay, but you can't say it's the deciding factor. Not in my opinion. I agree. You know, you know, one, one thing that game did, it, it reaffirmed
1: what Chris Ballard has said about how you build a team. It's up front, it's in the trenches, it's offensive line, it's defensive line, and if you... Missing your two tackles, the Colts weren't they down to their third or fourth tackle at one point this year? Yeah, and the offense was paralyzed. So uh, it, games, it, it's it's great that that there's a flash and with, with Tyreek Hill and Mahomes and and downfield throws, you can't throw from your backside. Although he made a a, I'll tell you, Mahomes made a couple of passes that were just ridiculous from ridiculous positions. But if you can't protect the quarterback. It's tough to play football nowadays, and it just shows you that get that defensive front that can pressure and get the, get your offensive line where at, at least on its worst day it's competent because if you can't protect the quarterback, I don't care who your quarterback is.
0: Let's move on to the Hall of Fame class of 2021 named the Saturday before the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning, of course, is in. Mike Chappell's eloquent and extended uh, presentation uh goes uh falls on uh very welcome ears and uh the uh the whole committee is is uh welcome to uh to Peyton Manning being named among the the greats. So good job, Mike, presenting Peyton Manning. You you got him in on his first ballot. Doesn't happen to everybody, but he certainly makes it. Reggie Wayne, his weight continues um as you get a first year wide receiver in Calvin Johnson who kind of jumps the line there. Um that you've always talked about in the past, Mike, kind of having to wait your turn here. Reggie kind of stays in the uh, stays in line, so to speak. Him and Torrey Holt, receivers that have been uh, finalists before or been among the final discussion group. Uh, but the Hall of Fame class is Alan Fanica on offensive line, Calvin Johnson wide receiver, safety John Lynch, and defensive back Charles Woodson along with Peyton Manning. Uh, Mike, when you look at those five guys, I mean, it, it's certainly a worthy class, guys who are part of the – NFL's all-decade teams here and there, uh, guys who were dominant in their position for, for a long time. Um, so Reggie, although I'm sure he would like to be in the Hall of Fame, obviously, as, as anyone would who plays this game, it, it's, it's, you can't say he for certain deserves among over any of these guys. So there's always some give and take. There's some back and forth. Um, but, but for now, like I said, Mike, Reggie has to wait his turn.
1: Yeah, and the way the way the voting went, I would have. I didn't vote Calvin Johnson. I would have voted Calvin Johnson in first ballot. I thought the fact that he that, that he they retired a little bit early, maybe that would have helped. You know, second second ballot, third ballot, or third or second year. But and also, I I had Tony Baselli going in over Alan Fanica. Uh, I I, I guess I value a, a an elite elite tackle over a guard, but. Fannick has been there a long time. John Lynch has been waiting eight or nine years. Charles Woodson was a no-doubter. The problem that people have to realize, and we have this year after year, and it's been really a, I won't call it a problem, but an issue over the last five or six years, ten years maybe, is first ballot Hall of Famers. We've really, we've really made that an issue by, you know, this year there were three. That leaves two spots. Two spots for 13 players, and it's just tough. It just is. Uh, on how you you whittle those other those other spots down, Reggie Wayne. You know, this is two years in a row that he did not make the cut from 15 to 10. Uh, last year was his first year, and he didn't make it uh, past the the cut to, to 10. Same. So it's it's not to say he's advancing. Edgren, you can sort of see him advancing through the through the group, and then he got the final 10 a couple of years, and then he finally got in. So Reggie has to wait. And again, he's got—he simply got Hall of Fame numbers. He just does. Uh, so, so we'll see how it goes with he and Tori Holt. You know, next next year we're going to have uh, Steve Smith, Senior, Anquan Bolden, quality receivers. They're not in the same category with Reggie and, and Torrey Holt. They're just not. Uh, soon we're going to have Larry Fitzgerald. That's—he's going to be the first ballot Hall of Famer. He just simply is. And one thing before we go on, and Joe's got it on here is next year their first. Uh, your eligible players includes uh, what Andre Johnson, who you could argue is very, very similar to Reggie, but he doesn't have Reggie's numbers. He doesn't have Reggie's numbers. And DeMarcus Ware, quality, Devin Hester, Steve Smith, Anquan Bolden, Vince Woolfolk, and Robert Mathis. And that's where we're going to get into because Robert Mathis next year and then Dwight Freeney the next year. Hmm. So good luck. good luck trying to – you know, determine between Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney. I'm guessing nationally, uh, Robert Mathis falls behind Dwight Freeney just because Freeney was looked at as well. He was a first round draft pick, uh, so I, I think Mathis may have to kind of get in line behind behind Dwight Freeney. And then you get DeMarcus Ware in there, and I tell you, he's a hell of a player.
2: Mike, do any of those players strike you as first ballot Hall of Famers?
1: No. No, no, I I, don't think so. I don't even know who you'd say, yeah. Again, this year, you knew you knew it was going to be Manning and Woodson. Uh, Calvin Johnson, again, I thought, you know, I like to have my first ballot guy check every box. Not that you stand up like I did with for Manning and say, Peyton Manning, and you sit down. Not that. But we've had a couple of first ballot guys I wasn't in favor of. Uh, Jason Taylor of Miami, Hall of Famer, but I, I, I thought he fell short of the first ballot, you know, qualifications. Uh, no, I, I, that, that, that's going to be a plus for these guys. I don't, if I had to look at one of these guys and say, who would I put in first ballot? Maybe the Marcus Ware, maybe. Uh, but, but you've got Jared Allen still on the list. Uh, but no, it's It's going to help that there won't be those two or three first ballot guys. You say, yeah, they're first ballot, no doubt that will help kind of get this class, getting some people through who've been waiting.
0: Mike, I do think, just to add to the discussion, and I'm sure you'll have plenty more of it, along with the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee, I think that, I don't know who presents the Bears uh, out there, but Devin Hester, I'm sure, is going to get a big push because, simply because, he he is arguably the greatest player at his position in NFL history. And I know there'll be a discussion among you guys about a return man and the value of a return man and if he should go into the Hall of Fame um, in, on the first ballot since he just had a very niche element but uh, I, I, I would find it hard to believe that, uh, that Devin Hester is in the long term not a Hall of Famer, simply of what he was able to do as a return man. Um, I mean, growing up in my generation and Joe's generation, I mean, we didn't, we didn't see Gail Sayers. Um, returning, but he was the one guy that so many compared him to, his ability to return, his ability in the open field. So, I mean, I, I remember watching him, and Colts fans remember watching him take the open and kick back for the Super Bowl. That entire year was just an, a tremendous year that he had. So so I really do think that he's going to get some push to to be, if anyone is a first ballot Hall of Famer, maybe Devin Hester's the guy who makes the cut.
1: It, it's kind of crazy how you sort of – coaches always say it's it's three phases, it's three phases, offense, defense special teams, the Hall of Fame hasn't treated guys like that. I mean, it it took uh, Ray Guy to be a senior, to be a senior uh, selection. It took uh, Morton Anderson forever to get in. You know, I would think, uh, you know, Adam Vinatieri to me is one where you can almost say Adam Vinatieri and sit down. But one guy that's not – and it's a little different on special teams with Devin Hester, but Steve Tasker, who's considered the best special teams player as far as coverage and all that. Hardly gets in the room. But, Devin Hester, when, when you're the best at what you do, how do you not get in?
0: So let's continue our news around the NFL this week. The Colts have filled out Frank Reich's coaching staff. After so many uh, left, whether it was with Nick Sirianni to Philadelphia or elsewhere, um, the biggest name that joins the list is Kevin Mawai as an assistant offensive line coach, the uh, pro football Hall of Famer himself, known for uh, the majority of his time in the NFL with the, uh, the New York Jets there, was a, a stud interior lineman. For a very long time, um, Joe Hastings is an assistant special teams coach. Uh, Scott Milanovic, quarterbacks. Scotty Montgomery at running back. James Rowe, cornerback. Uh, Press Taylor is a senior offensive assistant, and also a couple of changes inside the coaching staff. Clayton at, excuse me, Clayton Adams moves from assistant offensive line to tight ends. Uh, Parks Frazier is now promoted to assistant quarterbacks coach. Uh, you get Doug McKenney at applied sports science. And, uh, and also conditioning, uh, David Overstreet the second, an assistant defensive backs coach. So, uh, so, Mike, we know that, that there was going to be a lot of change in the coaching staff there. You have a couple moves on the inside as well. Um, this is something that happens when you have success in the league. You, you lose guys. This is something that happens when you have a coordinator go somewhere else. You're going to have to build a little bit. There's not going to be the same chemistry right now as you go into this offseason and you go into OTAs as the uh, old, old group had. I mean that, that that's just a fact of life in the league. So it'll be it'll be a, just a little bit of a process to get everyone on the same page. Uh, but that's something that uh, you look to the leaders to do. You look to Frank Reich. You look to now Marcus Brady as coordinator. You look to Matt Eberflus to kind of set the tone and make sure uh, everyone's right, ready to go, and uh, ready to kick off the off season program.
1: Yeah, one thing with all the changes on the staff and there's gosh, we're talking about a half a dozen. And you lose a Tom Rathman, who's going to be a huge loss. It, it just is those players really connected with him. I think it's going to be important if if the rest of the world, you know, agrees that, there, that there's that there is mini camps, that there's off season team or programs and workouts. When you've got a new staff, it, it's nice to have hands on, and and that was a detriment last year all across the league, not just of these guys. So, if you can get all these coaches working with players. Hands-on, not just Zoom, which you do what you can on Zoom. So hopefully for the, for the transition of new coaches, you're going to have on-field workouts and mini camps and OTAs and all that. That's going to help any transition to new coaches.
0: And Joe, I guess if we look, just take a step back and look elsewhere in the AFC South in particular, you have the Colts have changes in inside the coaching staff, which of course is going to have some impact, but the, the Houston Texans continue to have changes at the very top of the food chain in that franchise. As president Jamie roots resigns, uh, you, you just keep seeing turnover there. You, you, you think it's going to be a different franchise next year. I, I think that there's there, at least they're trying to make uh, to tr- take some steps in a different direction. And uh, I, I, uh, it, with all the discussion we may have in this area, I mean, whoever is lining up under center is still the most, the, probably the most important piece for the direction of that franchise. I would think.
2: Yeah, it kind of seems like no one wants to be in Houston right now. If, if you're the Texans, it, just a dysfunction. I read a report. Obviously, I don't know how valid it is, but I saw a report saying that Roots kind of resigned because he was upset that the Texans, you know, they hired this contracting firm to do their. Uh, coaching search and their GM search, and then the owner basically just ignored it and did what he wanted to anyway. Pulled a Dan st- Snyder,
0: came off the yacht and made the pick.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you're going to do all that work and then it does, it's all for nothing. The owner's just going to do what he wants to. I could see how you'd be frustrated and upset, both as management and as a player.
1: Also, they they fired or or got rid of one of a was it a support staff
0: equipment guy or. Yeah, it was an equipment guy. It was like equipment manager or something.
1: But 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 the, the the backstory is he was a very close friend of Deshaun Watson. I mean, are you just trying to to upset the kid? I mean, are you going out of your way to poke the tiger? I I don't understand what they're doing there. And I, I tell you, if you had to to bet right now, will will he will he be there? Will he won't? If he's there, will he will he be holding out? How h- how do you move forward? You you talked about a. A situation that can almost paralyze a, a franchise of their own doing. That's yeah. what that's what's crazy. So you know, however this AFC South goes, the most interesting thing going on is Houston. And again, we we always thought that Jacksonville was dysfunctional, and they were. This takes it to another level.
0: Some more rumors around the league. Uh, Jason Lockenfora of CBS Sports reports that Russell Wilson's camp has grown increasingly frustrated. By the Seahawks' inability to protect him, um, Russell was top three last year in the NFL and hits taken. Uh, Carson Wentz was a, up there too, and I think Deshaun Watson was the third. So those three guys, all three quarterbacks, want uh, might want out. Um, what uh, Wilson said on the Dan Patrick Show this past week is, "I'm not sure if I'm available or not. That's a Seahawks question." So that's that's something. Um, and again, on Pat Dan Patrick's Show, a source told uh, told Dan that the Seahawks management is not happy with Russell Wilson for taking this to the media. Which you understand that. Uh, I understand Russell's frustration if he keeps getting hit uh, back there. That the offensive line has not been the best in the NFL in recent years. But uh, Mike, I can't I can't jump to the conclusion that Russell necessarily wants out because of this. I think he's just trying to light some uh, put some management's feet to the fire so to speak and uh say look i'm not happy maybe i don't want to go anywhere but 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 let's do something about this and uh you, you can understand their frustration that this goes external but i can also understand russell's frustration that it just keeps happening
1: He's been sacked 394 times in his career and, and we could argue how much of that is is on him because of the way he runs around but sometimes not sometimes of course a lot of times he's running around because his protection's terrible but it's just never how how often have we heard dirty laundry being aired like this from your top player not very often really so all of a sudden Pete Carroll's got some brush fires to put out with his best player
0: also what the heck would Russell Wilson go for I mean he'd go for a Deshaun Watson type of haul as well so I mean we're talking multiple first round picks and uh, probably players mixed in as well that would be that would that would be an insane insane trade, of course. Um, that I, well, I'm not even gonna gonna attempt to cross that bridge right now, because I, I a I just don't think it's likely. But uh, anyway, if we go on to a more more likely deal, the Raiders, um, perhaps according to multiple reports, sound more likely to trade Marcus Mariota than Derek Carr, which well should not be surprising that they're more willing to trade their backup than their starter. Um, so Mariota would come at a much uh, cheaper price. Uh, Joe, I think. Like I was, I was going through a discussion with some guys back in the sports department. Like we, we said, put down your top five guys who you think might start game one for the Colts next year. I had Mariota at the bottom of that list of my top five. I just kind of threw him in as a, as a wild card, and I say that recognizing that the Colts have seen the absolute worst of Marcus Mariota during his time in the NFL. Even when he had good games again for the Titans, like they never seemed to come against the Colts. But I, I just you, you can't immediately throw away a top-five NFL pick at as, as quarterback, uh, I don't think, with, without giving him an opportunity for a second chance in a stable franchise. It, it's not out of the question that a team takes him and wants him to be like Ryan Tannehill was, uh, compete for a starting job. Uh, I just don't, I don't know if that's going to be the Colts, but it, it's at least interesting that the Raiders would uh, perhaps be willing to part with him as well.
2: Yeah, and I understand the Colts have kind of owned Marcus Mariota over the years during that time when the Colts beat Tennessee however many times in a row. But I kind of, if I have the two options between giving up a haul for Carson Wentz or giving up a third, fourth round pick or something like that for Marcus Mariota, I might lean Mariota because right now I think both of them are pretty similar as far as where they're playing at, the level that they're playing at. So I understand that Wentz, you know, maybe we can revive his career. But Mariota, you said was a top five pick whose career could also be revived. So when I have the choice, and his contract is a hell of a whole lot cheaper, mm-hmm. mind you, as well. So when I have the choice between the two, Mariota does not seem like a bad option. The more you think about it, Dave. If hey, we
1: go on, yeah. if we if we go on the backstory of how they played against the Colts, why would you want Mariota? Then Blake Bortles ought to be ought to be the
0: quarterback here. There you go. Let's get Blake Bortles so, so, in here.
1: <laughs> so, but again, Joe's got it. It's, it's a really good point is, you know, may, maybe instead of trying to hit the home run with a Carson Wentz, who, let's admit it, Carson Wentz is going to be a hit or a miss. I, I don't see the middle ground with Carson Wentz. And Sam Darnold may be the same way, uh, but maybe you're looking for that Ryan Tannehill type guy. Who, who, who has gone into Tennessee and done a pretty darn good job of resurrecting a career that just sort of was there in Miami and never, didn't take off for a lot of reasons because he was getting his butt kicked every game as well. So, and, and we've talked about this a lot with and Joe's next thing is you know the possible trade for for Wentz and all that. The, the Colts right now, their only option options at quarterback are Carson Wentz if they want to. Bit against the Bears and whomever else, and Jacoby Brissett. Could could you sell Jacoby Brissett to this fan base? I don't think so. I, no, I don't think you could. But you don't know what the other options are. Is Darnold an option? Is Ryan an option? Is is Mariota? Is Carr? So you just don't know right now what what might be there. You know. So we'll see where this goes. But I I, I would rather if Marcus Mariota is my worst option. That's not an option I would just throw away. I think he's got a chance, but again, the problem is Colts fans have have seen the absolute worst of Mariota, and they don't
0: care for that. It would be an interesting—I would be interested to see what uh, season ticket sales or something would do if there's so much speculation at the beginning of the offseason. Oh, Colts could trade for Matthew Stafford. Oh, Colts could trade for Carson Wentz. Maybe they get Dak Prescott as a a flyer in, in free agency. And then you end up going into the uh, into training camp in a quarterback battle between Jacoby Brissett and Marcus Mariota. That would be um, like it it would it would not be what a lot of people expected. It would not be what a lot of people were hoping for. But again, if if it's the Ryan Tannehill route, uh, then then perhaps it's uh, which which is ironic because it was it was Ryan Tannehill against Marcus Mariota (laughs) out in Tennessee. So maybe Mariota can go and uh, and Tannehill somebody else somewhere. Um, Who who knows? But uh, you mentioned the Carson Wentz deal, Uh, multiple reports that the Colts and Bears are among the interested teams, reports from Adam Schefter and others that um, actually they came out last like at the end of last week saying a trade was uh, perhaps coming in the next week. So we're getting to that point right now that a trade might uh, might have come or might have been coming. Um, Yeah, the Eagles want a lot for Wentz, understandably so, because they're going to have to take a massive dead cap hit to trade him. And they're going to. They they don't have to trade him this second, which is why when I heard Schefter's report that something could happen within the week, I was thinking at that time, well they they've have they have to be getting offers with first round picks if they're if they want to trade him now, and if the Colts are going to trade a first round pick, they might. I wouldn't put that completely out of the out of the picture for them. I would think the Bears would be more willing to just because of where that franchise is and the disappointment they've had a quarterback in recent years. And uh, the they're maybe a little bit more desperate, I think. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong there. But um, that was specifically what, uh, what Chris Ballard said on, uh, on Dan Dockage's radio show here in Indy earlier this week, that there's a line between being aggressive and being desperate. And he doesn't want to operate in the desperate world. So... Um, if the Eagles, the Eagles don't want to desperately get rid of Wentz right now, I don't think Mike. So uh, I, I I hesitate to, to say that Chris Ballard is going to go into this and um and and overpay for Wentz where the Eagles might be overvaluing him at that time.
1: It makes you wonder the way all this came out to where you thought that the Wentz thing was virtually done, and it was really pointing towards Chicago at the time. How much of that was Hallie Roseman trying to really drum up? Exactly, interest in a player, and you've got to be so careful this time of year. You believe like ten percent of what you hear, and and how much of, of a market for a player is is being driven internally by that team. You know, all it, if you if you're a beat reporter and and an, and an agent wants to use you, they do, and if a GM wants to use you, uh, it's And I'm not saying Rosen was using Sheffer at all. I'm not saying that. But the easiest way to build up and, and, and drive a player's market is to leak or tell people that there's three or four teams interested in the guy. Uh, I just, again, if the Colts weren't going to overpay for Stafford, which they weren't, are they more willing to overpay for Wentz? I, I just, I, I, I can't get past the idea that he was so bad last year for a lot of reasons. And, and if anyone can fix him, Frank Wright can fix him. But, but again to me that's it that's the high risk high you know high reward high risk and all that on Wentz. and if you're right you've got a quarterback for eight or nine years if you if you're not he sets your franchise back two or three or four years
0: and, and heck uh while this talk about quarterback trades maybe it's a different position that the Colts decide to trade this off season and look to fill in uh who's going to be that next left tackle of the future with Anthony Costanzo retiring And a possibility uh, could be coming from the Baltimore Ravens. Um, Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network reports that Orlando Brown wants to be traded from Baltimore. And the specific reason, Joe, is because he wants to play left tackle. He filled in for left tackle Ronnie Stanley this year after Stanley got hurt. Brown was their right tackle. He went over and he played pretty well. And, And again, Joe, you understand why he wants to be a left tackle, because left tackles get paid exorbitantly more in the NFL than right tackles do. And uh, he's a he's a pro bowl right tackle who, if he gets traded, he still has a good relationship with Baltimore. They're going to ask for a lot. Um, But uh, you can't if you're the Colts, you have to look at a 26 year old left tackle of the future and put some serious thought into. Can he be our left tackle of the future, even though he's played right tackle predominantly in his career? uh, I think Orlando Brown is something that you really have to strongly consider.
2: Yeah, but at the same time, this ties hand-in-hand hand with what you do at quarterback. If Absolutely. If you trade for Brown, you have less assets to get your quarterback, and let's talk about the money. He has one more year on his rookie deal, and then he's going to demand close to $20 million per year as a young Pro Bowl tackle. I mean, he made the Pro Bowl as a right tackle, but this past year, he played 11 games, I believe, at left tackle and still made the Pro Bowl, so... I just don't see the Colts going for Orlando Brown unless they plan on drafting a quarterback or going for a cheaper option like Mariota. But even Mariota, I believe, only has one more year on his deal. And if he works well this year, then you're going to have to pay him and compensate. So I just don't see the Colts giving up the money and the assets for Brown unless they plan on drafting a quarterback, which at pick 21, who are you going to draft? So I don't really see this happening in Indianapolis. Don't you know that?
1: something ahead, Something else to consider: Let's say you go the Brown route, and then you have to pay him eighteen to twenty million. You're already paying Ryan Kelly as the highest-paid center in the league. You're going to pay Brandon Smith as one of the top-paid right tackles in the league, and you're going to make Quentin Nelson the highest-paid offensive lineman on the planet. So how how can you have four or five guys be the highest-paid? I mean. At some point, you can't do that. You just you can't afford budget-wise, cap-wise, to do that, which 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 can't be ignored, because you're going to pay Brandon or Braden Smith. You simply are going to pay Braden Smith. You're going to pay Quentin Nelson, and and this isn't the topic of what we were of where we're at. But internally, you know, they they believe and they're right that they've got four quality linemen. Are they serious about putting Quentin Nelson at right or at left tackle? I don't know. I mean, I you can read whatever you want with, with Chris Ballard on. And what he's saying is you better be sure. You better be darn sure that he can play left tackle at a high level because you know what he can do at left guard. Is there a chance they put Braden Smith at left tackle? My gut says no because I think sometimes right tackles are right tackles for a reason. Uh, so, But the bottom line is can you afford to pay – Four offensive linemen, top dollar,
0: and I don't think you can. So there are some free agents in this uh, this upcoming twenty twenty one class uh, who at least we should uh, discuss a little bit. Um, all of them will come with some kind of a, a a cap hit, obviously as a as a left tackle free agent guy you want to bring in to protect the blind side of your quarterback. Uh, the good news for the Colts is they have roughly $70 million, almost $70 million in cap space, which would be third most in the league per spot rack. Um, and here are some of those top free agents, uh, left tackles. Uh, Trent Williams from San Francisco, used to be with Washington, turns 33 in July. Uh, 2020, he was uh, the third time he's led all offensive tackles in a pro football focuses grade. He uh, had nearly a ninety-two uh, grade of 92 on a 100 scale. Um He's going to be a guy, once again, like we're talking, even though he's 33, which is Anthony Costanzo age. Um, Mike, he would command a top-tier uh, contract in the NFL. He would command about $20 million. Uh, the highest-paid left tackle is a $23 million. There's one at 22, and then after that, there's a couple around 19, 18, 15. Um, so if you, if you want Trent Williams, you're going to have to pay big money. Uh, he would he would not be cheap and it, it goes to the point that uh, you guys were making a, a little bit ago can you afford a can you afford to pay four offensive linemen top dollars that something that Chris Ballard can make the salary cap work with uh, Trent Williams uh, Mike and Joe would certainly be uh, in, in the group that would be a, a, among the most expensive options
2: yeah I mean it, it, this would be a If Trent Williams was placed in the Colts' left tackle spot, they would undoubtedly have the best offensive line in the NFL. I mean, he's arguably the best um, left tackle in the NFL, but we just talked about it with Orlando Brown. I don't think the Colts can afford to pay him the contract that he would demand, and so while this would be a dream scenario, as far as a personnel standpoint, I don't think they can make the money work.
0: And if you go further down Uh, the list, yeah. If you go further down the list, uh, you have uh, Pittsburgh's Alejandro Villanueva, another 33-year-old uh, this coming year. Um, he's graded somewhere between 74 and 82 each of his last five seasons per pro football focus. Um, so he's he's a good to better than average, certainly left tackle, Joe, who uh, is very consistent and hasn't missed a game over, uh, over those years.
2: I kind of look to this person as someone that the Colts could go after for the left tackle position I don't think he would command the amount of years or money that someone like a Trent Williams would command maybe 12 at the very most 15 million a year is what I'm thinking for Villanueva and the Steelers are in a salary cap situation where they may not be able to bring him back there I think spot rack has them at minus 20 on the salary cap um, and they have a lot of key free agents Juju Smith-Schuster um, pass rusher, oh, Bud Dupreez, um, and yeah. a few others. I mean, I think Roethlisberger, they're going to renegotiate his contract, but I think he counts like $43 million or something like that against the contract next year.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous number. So, yeah, ridiculous number.
2: Exactly. So this may be someone who is both available and within the Colts price range at left tackle and someone where I don't think his level of play is – that much below what Costanzo was giving you, if any. I mean, he was pretty close to Costanzo range, maybe slightly below.
0: Mike, I think that uh, with with the options, uh, the other options that we have here, like you, if you're Chris Ballard, you have to ask yourself uh, a question, obviously, and it's it, it, it you have to make salary cap decisions like three years down the road. You know, it, it's not just right now; it's for the next the next couple years of your franchise and whatever they have to do, whether they want to draft and develop a left tackle right now um, would, would certainly be cheaper. You get a guy like Joe saying maybe an average to above average uh, left tackle who is on the maybe not the last legs of his career, but on the back nine of his career, we shall say um, and pay him above average money. Um, Whatever you can do to fit uh, an extension for Darius Leonard in the future and an extension for Quentin Nelson in the future um uh, if you're going to sign a quarterback uh that has to fit in there as well so um it it, a a lot of this goes into what exactly chris bowler can do a quarterback number one and uh number two just what exactly and who exactly he plans to re-sign in the future what the salary cap number is going to be but he's put himself right now uh all that to say this in a good position this year because so many teams like joe was mentioning the steelers are in salary cap purgatory having to shed guys He's in a position where he can take guys, perhaps if even if he has to trade for them, at at good value because other teams are not in the same position the Colts are in right now. So they have a favorable spot this offseason to continue to build that uh, roster within the salary cap parameters for the future.
1: Well, they are, but, but the quarterback situation sort of dictates so much. Let's say you decide to get – your quarterback in the draft and you have to move up to do that then you can target a, a, a top-tier free agent whether it's left tackle pass rusher whatever but if you're going to get your quarterback in, in in a trade for a veteran it's going to cost you Philip Rivers or you know 25 30 million dollars so and if you go you know let's say you get your quarterback outside free agent wise then you can target that that first round pick for a tackle and if you do that, that guy's coming into play. He's not coming in to sit and develop. But if you have to find a different route then maybe one of these guys, the only problem with the free agent class outside of Cam Robinson is they're all on the wrong side of 30. And a couple of them are on the really wrong side of 30. What, uh, Jason Peters is 39? I mean, really?
0: And he's been <laughs> injured so badly the last right. two years.
1: So if to me, if you go free agent route, you're looking at maybe a two-year guy and then you're hoping that a second or third-round pick can develop into that guy. Because all these guys we've talked about outside of Cam Robinson would be the short-term fix. So the, the problem that the Colts, I agree they're, they're in a good position as far as resources to do what they want, but it depends on where those resources go on how you're going to be able to extend Uh, Braden Smith and Darius Leonard. I'm guessing Quentin has to wait a year. Naheem Hines. I can name three or four guys that need extensions. But it's first things first, and it's quarterback. To me, quarterback is the overriding. That's number one, and then whatever number two is, it's down the list. But left tackle, can you get by with just a guy at left tackle? And no, you can't because they've tried that. But if you can get a guy that's around Costanzo's level of play, maybe that's Villa in a waiver, like like Joe says. In 32, that's not ancient. I mean, it's it's not it's not ideal, but it's not like let's get one more year out of this guy. But uh, it, it's so interesting to look at these options. And to me, the ideal option always, always is to get that guy in the draft because you've got him on the cheap for three or four years, almost for five years but you can only address so many so many uh top level positions in the off season and they've got to find a way to address three or four this off season. This is a we've talked about this before. This is a significant off season on how they handle two or three or four positions.
0: Yeah, and that circles back to the point that we made at the very beginning of this podcast talking about the Super Bowl. Um, if you don't have tackles, th- then you're in trouble, and the Chiefs found that out. You can have all the weapons in the world. You can have Tyreek Hill. Uh, you can have uh, Patrick Mahomes. If you can't pr- protect them, uh, you- nobody's going to run deep. If uh, nobody's running deep, uh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for you. Um, that's something that Frank Reich likes to do. It's what uh, what we've talked about multiple off-seasons in a row on this podcast uh, wanting to uh, be a more dangerous downfield attacking offense. And you can't do that if you don't have the offensive line in front of you, which is what Chris Ballard set out to do initially when he was named general manager of the Colts. So, um, so yeah, if, if, if you talk about wanting to continue to develop your offensive attack and keep working your way up the ranks in the NFL, you, you can't do that without having some kind of set tackle. Um, and we've we, we've talked about a couple of options, Mike. You brought up Cam Robinson as well, who turns 26 in October. Um, he he certainly hasn't blown away anybody in the league. Um, but he's uh s- hasn't given up more than 40 pressures in a full season. Um, which is not not terrible, but it's uh, like I said, it's not it's not elite.
2: There's was actually uh, fewer. He's never given up fewer. Oh, than excuse 40 me. Pressures.
0: Yeah, that's that's the, uh, uh, that's, that's, the uh, that's the other that's, that's the a bad that's the bad one. Excuse me. Yeah. It,
2: so yeah. so d- d- so he's young. He's got the talent, but he hasn't been that good so far in his career. I, so this would be an option—a one or two-year deal. It's a body you can throw out there, and then maybe draft someone in the second, third round. They've thrown right. bodies I, I can't out there. Right.
1: They they've thrown bodies <laughs> out there, and it, it's funny because to, to go back on what Dave was talking about about they, they they've always talked about more explosive plays and get the ball down the field. When we talked to Jim Ursay he, he he said, you know. We need playmaker. We need a couple of playmakers, a wide receiver and a tight end cuz he pointed to Tyreek Hill and Kelsey. Well, that's great. But like Dave said, if you if you haven't got time to get the ball out and we're talking about a quarterback who's as mobile as any as far as avoiding pressure, so it it's p- p- people around here are going to get tired of hearing it, but it's true. Up front in the trenches, in the trenches, and that's why the offseason that's got Let's take quarterback out of the mix. It's got to be that offensive line tackle and defensive line edge pass rusher. Those are the two major needs. And again, wide receiver, yes. Cornerback, yes, depending on what to do with Rhodes. But holy smokes, I mean, these guys are not giving you lip service about pass rush and offensive line. That's what they believe in their heart. And that's why somehow, someway, these guys will get the offensive line and the defensive line addressed in the offseason somehow
0: the Carolina Panthers have a right tackle in Taylor Moten who turned 27 in August. So he's not, not in the 33 year old range that some of these other guys are. Um, he's, he's graded out. Well, again, in pro football focus, maybe he can transition to left tackle. Who knows? I don't, you'd have to ask the Colt scouts that one. But um, again, the Panthers have to cut. Um, uh, they have a uh, rather uh, some cap space, so they might even want to resign him, but he's at least the guy who's out there in this free agent class Um, Russell Okung as well in Carolina, their other tackle, their left tackle, um, over the past three years, he's been, uh, in those rankings, slightly above average as a pass blocker and an above average run blocker. But at the same time, he's been a little bit injury prone, missing 19 games the past two years. And, uh, you mentioned Jason Peters, Mike, a guy who's at his best. He, he was great. He was great even in his late 30s in Philadelphia. Uh, just three years ago, he was 36, and he was the left tackle leading, helping lead them to a, to a world championship. And Peters wants to play one more year at 39 years old, um, trying to get one more ring. Probably not in Philly, he says. Unfortunate, but uh, I'll try to choose a team and get another ring, he said. That's what he said on Twitter a few weeks ago. But uh, like Okung, who's missed 19 games the last two years, Peters has missed 11 games the past two years, and uh, eight overall in 2020. He missed half the season. Um, If you want a less expensive stopgap, Joe, sure. Peters, well, I I, I hesitate to say sure. That's probably not the right word, but he's at least an option there. But um, I don't know. Like I said, and and like Mike said, Joe, a lot of this is going to depend on the quarterback and what you're going to do. If you're going to take a quarterback young, then you're going to be able to have some more salary cap wiggle room and maybe take some lumps. But um, but again, from what Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard have said this offseason, I don't think they want to do that. Even though you hear words like, ideally you build a quarterback through the draft and you get him, the cold situation is different just because the rest of their roster and how it's shaping up. You don't want to take lumps for two, three years before you're then ready uh, to, to really compete. You're, you're at a spot right now where you are – one step behind the best teams the bills and the chiefs in your conference and you want to take that next step you don't want to stay stagnant or even take a half step back by bringing in a rookie quarterback and then try to work your way back up you want to keep moving forward and to do that a rookie quarterback as jim ursay has alluded to uh specifically this offseason might not be the best way to do that. So again, I, I, and I, I'm sorry to do this, but as we're discussing like left tackle, the quarterback situation always comes up. But that's just what it's going to be because that's the position that matters the most for what you can do with the salary cap. The salary cap matters what you can do specifically at left tackle. So all that to say, all of our discussions uh, from now until the Colts have a starting quarterback are going to be very much uh, based on starting quarterback and what options they have in this tier and that tier of, uh, when you spend this much money or this little money on this position or that position. So um, the, the, like you can't you can't make any hard and fast claims, Joe, right now it's simply because there is no hard and fast starting quarterback.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is very much, and I'm sure the listeners know this, but this is very much all complete speculation right now. We're of just course. kind of putting our GM caps on yeah, 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 and yeah. seeing... What are the different options? I kind of included guys like Jason Peters and Cam Robinson because even if the Colts want to address left tackle in the draft, which I agree with you, that would be the way to go. Um, these are some guys who would cost less—you know, five million, six, seven, maybe million a year at most—and they can compete with your rookie left tackle. And if he's not quite ready and they're better, they start. And even if it's best-case scenario and your rookie left tackle is ready, these guys give you the depth at tackle that the Colts did not have last year. Whether it's the rookie goes down and gets hurt, Braden Smith gets hurt, either one of these guys could then step in at right or left tackle. Hell, the Eagles were planning to play Peters at guard last year before their left tackle got hurt. So these are some guys that you could put in and they could be Replacements, best-case scenario, worst-case scenario, There are players who have started in the league over the last several years.
0: Now, as we continue to go forward in these next couple of weeks of the offseason before free agency opens, we're going to be discussing all of these um, positions that either Jim Ursae himself, specifically, like Mike mentioned, um, needing the Colts needing uh, some more playmakers this year, uh, this offseason. season. Or things that we uh, we ourselves uh, think the Colts might need. we'll We'll break down some different free agent groups, whether it's at wide receiver tight end, edge rusher, cornerback. um we'll We'll just give you an intro to all these guys who might be available, and uh, I encourage you to to listen to them again with kind of the uh, the attitude that i uh, that I presented that Joe uh, kind of uh, uh, alluded to as well, saying that huh, there there's there's we're putting on our GM caps, not knowing exactly what Chris Ballard wants to do and uh, especially a quarterback, because uh, this is, this is going to be a unique offseason, again, as Mike alluded to, that the Colts have a lot that could happen. They have a lot of different avenues they could go down. And, and I, I always think it's interesting, Mike, how the NBA, they have the draft and then free agency. Uh, but in the NFL, they have free agency and then the draft. So it, it's, just a, it, it's, it's a unique difference between those two leagues. And I don't know which one, if you were a GM, you would like ideally – I might lean toward the dra- uh, the draft and then free agency so you can see exactly who you get, young and cheap, and then you can attack that market. But in the NFL, it's different, so you just have to do things a slightly different way and really uh, have to get creative sometimes uh, based on who you think might be available for you in the draft.
1: Yeah, and one thing, again, the next thing coming up is free agency, which is what we said the middle of March, I believe it is, is when they, they get going. And, and everybody wants fantasy football. They want you to sign six guys, even though it's going to cost you $20 million a player, which is impossible. But I'm posting something shortly on, on the website on the hits and misses of Ballard, of Ballard since he's been here. And he's hit. He, he's hit on his guys, by and large. Rivers, Xavier Rhodes, Justin Houston, Danico Watcher, Eric Ebron, uh, Jabal Sherrod, Marcus Hunt. His misses... Have not been that the player couldn't play. Primarily, has been injury. Devin Funchess, uh, uh, Matt Slauson, people like that. John Simon was a, was a and Jonathan Hankins were scheme guys it just they they didn't really work once they changed scheme. So they these guys notoriously have not gone out there and paid top dollar for top profile free agents. This year may be one if the quarterback situation allows them to, to address one of their needs in free agency. So uh, I, again, we put on our GM hats and what we would do. I'd, I'd spend like crazy. Again, we've talked and it's it's the strangest <laughs> dynamic. You've got the, the the owner saying here spend please, and the GM says or the you know the owner says here's my wallet you know spend it, and the GM says no that's all right. we'll, we'll 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 try to be frugal or at least, you know, calculated. So free agency, it allows you to, to, to fill holes. If you don't hit on the draft, you're just always flailing away because you, your roster deteriorates very quickly. So th- thus far, there have been mistakes in both, but they've done a very good job of blending free agency in the draft and coming up with a roster that's not that far away.
0: So now as free agency approaches, our Colts Blue Zone discussion will continue. You can follow us online at Colts Blue Zone on Twitter. Follow me at Dave G underscore sports. Mike Chappell is at Chapel 51 And Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. We hope you join us next week as we further delve into free agent options the Colts could look for this offseason. And who knows, maybe by the time we gather back together next Thursday afternoon, the Colts will have a starting quarterback, or at least a, a quarterback they have an agreement for in principle that couldn't go over until the uh start of free agency so um a- any day you know uh that anything could change that's part of the beauty of the nfl's offseason that uh it'll keeps probably be as soon
2: as we stop recording here exactly
0: you know and then, then then throw everything out the window and then we'll we'll do it live as, that's uh, right. as the great uh, bill o'reilly once said anyway uh we thank you so much for joining this Colts blue zone podcast please download subscribe get us delivered to your podcast listening device every week and we'll see you next week on the colts blue zone podcast